Good morning. So um, this morning's reading is, as Thomas just said, from the book of Isaiah, and it's chapter 35, which you will find on page 720 in the church Bibles. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there nor any ravenous beast, they will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amazing. Let's pray and we'll dig into that. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather here in safety. But Lord, we thank you. We don't just get to gather here as friends. We get to gather here to worship you. And we pray. Lord, would you pour out your spirit on each of us here. That as we open up your word, that you would speak to each of our hearts, our minds. Lord, that in turn, that we'd be transformed to be more like Jesus, filled with the joy, this everlasting joy that can only come from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, as Tom mentioned, um, my name's Will, um, and it's a privilege to be with you guys today. Uh, If I haven't met you before, I'd love to get to know you um, after the service. Um, But we are immersed in a culture, aren't we, that chases after fleeting pleasures, but chases after material pursuits. And we see that massively at this time of year. But the Christian story offers something far greater than just those fleeting pleasures. It offers joy, an everlasting joy, that no matter what you're going through, you can know God's joy in and through life now, but more importantly, the life to come. And so today we're launching this new series, and it is a countercultural trajectory, not to look to within and look to gather more, but to look to up 
and in turn to look to see who we can be in him. And so as we do that, we're going to be considering different aspects of joy and how joy affects our lives and how we can bring joy to others. Seeking to bless Leatherhead and beyond with the joy of the Lord. And this is a significant time of year for believers. For us in Advent, we wait for Jesus coming at Christmas. God, Emmanuel, to come down in meekness at the stable. But we also look to Jesus' second coming where he promises to come as king and judge, to judge the living and the dead. And for us in Christ, that is a great day for us to look forward to. So we wait for this coming king. So that's what our series is looking to do. But today I want to talk to you about the way to everlasting joy. The way to everlasting joy. And do keep your Bibles open. We're going to be in Isaiah 35, page 720. Um, we want you to be nosing the text, not just to see that we're not making up, but just to see the word come alive to you and to see it affect you and in turn that you can carry it out there. But I wonder what you think the difference is between happiness and joy. What's the difference between happiness and joy? Well, I'm convinced happiness happens to us, but joy is a bit different. Um, when I studied medicine for a couple of years, I was fascinated to learn about, um, you know, the brain's happy chemicals. You may have heard of them. There are four of them. Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And they release like a happiness, a little bit of spark in you, and um, that gives you some pleasure in different moments. Um, and companies have grasped this. So like the iPhone is designed and the apps are designed to boost a little bit of dopamine every time you scroll. Every time you get that like on that like beautiful view, you've snapped and you've got it filtered just right. You've worked on the caption. That little like, you're like a little bit of dopamine. But the problem is you need more and more. So actually they're designed just that we spend longer and longer on these little devices to try and get a little bit of happiness. But if we're all honest... It's just a little fleeting bit of happiness. And as soon as you put the phone down, you're like waiting for a bit more. But you know, it doesn't really live up to it. But then what about like oxytocin? And that gets released when you see things like puppies. This is my puppy, Heidi, I love her. And I'm amazed when I see people who are like these big grown like builders and men will walk up to me looking quite strong. And then as soon as they see Heidi, they drop to their knees, like gushing at like, and just joy and a little bit of happiness as they see that. But then as they wander off, I wonder what happens to their smile. Happiness happens to us. And these little chemicals release a little bit. But surely there's something more. Because joy is different from happiness. You know, you can be really happy about how things are going in your life and not really be joyful at all. And you can be really unhappy about how things are going in your life and know joy like never before. Joy is something far grander than happiness. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And when we find joy, we find it infused with comfort and wrapped in peace. It's an attitude of a heart that is linked to our spirit when we're aligned to God himself because God is a God of joy. You can know joy despite your circumstances that enables you to have a lightness, a confidence, a hope, a peace, even a gratitude in the hardest times of your life. But it requires the utmost surrender and like love, it's a choice that you have to take. 
Joy is not simply a feeling that happens to you, but it's something that goes far deeper. So we're going to be digging into Isaiah 35 to see this to be true. And Isaiah is a big book in the Old Testament. You might be here first time today and be like, what is the book of Isaiah? What is the Bible? Well, Isaiah is before Jesus, 700 years before, and he's a prophet. That means that God communicates to him certain messages, and he's tasked to communicate them out to people. He's communicating them out to the people of Judah. And Judah is 200 years or so before the book of Daniel, which we've been looking at. But it's sort of set in this scene, and Judah is feeling fearful as a nation. They're surrounded by Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt. These strong, powerful nations, and they're these little, weak, disoriented people. They've just seen the northern part of the kingdom wiped out, and they're like, what's going on? God, where are you? And they sort of lost the idea that God is coming to save, and their hope in him, and they're feeling feeble and weak. And it's to those people that Isaiah is called to speak. And you'd imagine the message to be one of an encouragement, right? But throughout Isaiah, the message is, if you repent, I will come and forgive and save you. If you don't, judgment's coming. And so the majority of Isaiah is one of that. But today we're looking at Isaiah 35, which is this message of hope, which speaks of the coming of a saviour who will bring joy. And so it's to these weak people, those disoriented people, and you might be feeling a bit like that today, that this message of joy comes. So firstly, we see there's the way to abundance, the way to abundance. Turn with me in your Bibles as we look at verse 1 and 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. You know, God is in the business of transformation. Here we see land being restored. You see it's described as the desert, the parched land, the wilderness, three descriptions there. And they are broken, it's cracked, it's damaged. But it encounters something that transforms it. That goes from a brokenness, a cracked, damaged, to one of abundance and flourishing. Isaiah here is speaking of God's transformation purposes. That God brings dead things and barren things and brings them to life and life in all its fullness. And this promise was proved true for a few in few ways. Firstly, in the immediate time, the Assyrian sort of attack is pushed away and it allows them a bit of flourishing. Today, that land is a flourishing place. Yes, there's turmoil, but it's the place where we get the Jaffa orange, where millions come from. I know there's about 150 behind us for Chris Dingles. This Jaffa orange, it sees over a million olive trees in that land. It's a place of fruitfulness and abundance. But it speaks of the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy that God's coming to restore the whole ecology of the world. Romans 8 speaks of the creation waiting eagerly for children of God to be revealed. The picture is of the most barren places changing to beauty and magnitude. But I wonder what for you is the most beautiful place. When you think in your mind, what's the most beautiful place? That most luscious place you like to look. 
It might be a mountain. Like when you look over the Alps, there's talking to someone who's like, I can't wait to get out to the plans, you know, you know, that. It might be the sea. It might be Box Hill. For me at the moment, it's my bed. The most beautiful, wonderful place. Full of warmth and wonder. <laughs> and I just loved being asleep. <laughs> but those are just like pale glimpses of what the eternity is going to look like and feel like. Do you see it? It's like luscious Lebanon, Shara, Carmel and Sharon are the most beautiful places at the time. And it's saying, it's like that. The awe you feel at the mountains is nothing compared to the awe you're going to feel ahead in eternity. Box Hill's got nothing on the views which is ahead for us. These places fill us with glad, they're rejoicing, they're blossoming. It's this place that we sing, even the rocks will cry out in worship. But it's not the beautiful scene, it's not the view which has got the attention and has our attention. Do you see it? Where's the attention? It's on, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendour of our God. The promise of restoration is amazing, taking dead, barren things, coming to life when it comes into contact with God. You know, heaven here, what's it sound like? What's it feel like? It's amazing. But where is our attention? It's not on creation, it's on the creator, on the restorer, the redeemer. The splendor of our our God, the glory of our Lord. Do you yearn for the glory of the Lord? Do you long to meet with him so much that everything else, all the pleasures of this world pale into significance compared to him himself? Jesus has to be our focus. And in turn, we experience the joy. The joy everlasting is in Jesus. Secondly, the way to be strengthened, we're going to see here. There's a way to be strengthened. Dig with me in again. Verse three and four. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Look around the room. Look around. Look at, try and gaze at people different. Spot people. Um, humanly speaking, the people who will most help you sustain your walk with Jesus are those people. And humanly speaking, those people who are around you are the very people you need to be sustained in your walk with the Lord. Each of us at some period of time is going to feel weak and feel feeble. And we need to be in community to encourage us to look to the place we get strengthened. So for the people in this time as they're receiving this word, who are feeling disoriented, weak, literally knees that are bloody, that is the reality for God's people then, but also for us now. You know, when we forget God is returning, when we set our circumstances as the very thing that we see the gaze upon, it can disorientate us. Because in this life, we aren't promised a perfect, spotless life. The Bible isn't rose-tinted on life. It is real. We are going to get our hearts broken. Everything man-made is going to let us down. The longer we live, the more sorrows we have. The more scars external that we have, but also the more internal scars which we dare not show to others. And it should give us a longing for Jesus, a longing for the eternal in a greater way. 
Yes, we have God's blessing now and you can know more and more of God's blessing. But life is really tough. But we need to look to the place we get strengthened. There are big things that we're facing where we can feel weak. You may have had a nightmare with your kids this week. You may be working really hard and you just don't understand why it's not enough. You might be just going through it, stuff, thoughts going through your mind and you're trying to keep them at bay. But you're just feeling disoriented and you don't really know which way is up and which way is down and how to like make the next step. I want to ask you, who is around you? Who is encouraging you? Encouragement literally means to pour courage in. Because God doesn't say to us when we feel weak and feeble. He doesn't say, pull yourself together, get yourself together, get on, crack on, and you'll be fine. He doesn't deny the fear. He doesn't say, have a stiff upper lip. No, he says to those who are strong, speak to those who are feeling weak. Say to them, be strong, do not fear. Where's the strength to be found? Is it to be found like within, you know, that great song, search for the hero inside yourself? No. Is it to be found in the person to your left and to your right? No. There to guide you to the place of strength, who is God. Our God will come in power and he'll come to save us. In our present trials, we all need encouragement. And we all need to take strength, not from within, not from each other, but from above, where our hope is truly found. God doesn't want us to live feeble lives. He doesn't want us to live fearful lives. He longs for his people to know strength. But that strength isn't found from within, it's found from without, from up here. Humor me here. I'd love for everyone to stand up if you're able. And um, I want you to try, and some people won't, please don't do this, you can't, to stand on one leg. I want you to try and stand on one leg and um, try and stay there and try and sort of concentrate for a bit. And th- How does it feel for those who, like me, you've had like a knee up and your knee's pretty dodgy, you've got a dodgy ankle from various injuries, you're just like quite hard to write. And it's quite hard to stay standing. Tom is really struggling here. <laughs> And it's really hard and there's no wind here. There's no sort of external pressures, right? But it's hard. Now I want you to focus on one specific point in front of you. Find a point. You might want to be on the Christmas tree or maybe on the cross is a better one. Focus on the cross. How does it feel now? It's probably a bit more stable. There's less moving around. Where our focus is determines not just our strength, but in terms of our stability to continue. Nothing has changed. There's no wind. There's nothing else. You're still on the same leg. Now I'd love you to lock arms with the person next to you and still be on one leg and focus on the same spot. Is it a bit easier? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, you can take a seat. Hopefully you may have met like a friend. Maybe it's a new spouse ahead if you're single and dating. There's coffee after that. Um, But it's amazing that where our focus is can determine our strength. But we also need you and I, what not to have looking at each other. No, we're called to look forward. And the stability and strength is found in collectively looking ahead. That's what Jesus and the church is meant to do. We find our strength not in ourselves, not in each other, in him. It's not a vague, vague optimism of like, it's going to get better. 
No, it's finding our strength and our hope in the King who's coming, the King who's coming to save. And that's what we do in prayer ministry. When we invite everyone forward, we're not doing anything weird we're saying. We want to pray God's strength into you to help you focus on Jesus. So at the end of the service, we're going to do it again. We're going to invite people forward. And if you would love more of God's strength, if you'd love more of God's joy, they're not going to be saying anything weird. They're just going to say, come Holy Spirit, would you fill them in this way? So I encourage you when that's that moment, if you want to be strengthened, come forward. But what does that strengthen? What happens? It says, he will come to save you. And then if we read on, Verses five and six. Then will the eyes of a blind be opened, the ears of a deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. These people who aren't able to walk in verse four are now dancing and leaping for joy like deers. How? Because they've met the one who will save them. The promise is speaking of Jesus, whose name means God save, God heals. But it's amazing when Jesus' cousin, who we read a lot about at Christmas, John the Baptist, saw Jesus. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But then he gets discouraged, John, and he's in prison. He's disoriented and he sends his friends to Jesus. And he goes, are you really the Messiah, the one I proclaimed? What does Jesus say? I love it. He says, go and tell John these things which you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor of the gospel preach to them. Jesus is saying, this is all about me. What's been prophesied, the way to everlasting joy is in me. Jesus has fulfilled what it is to the place of person who's come to save. The king has come in Jesus. At Christmas, we remember his meekness in a stable, God, Emmanuel, coming to save. But we also, Advent, remember his second coming, when he comes again as king to judge, and he'll do it with vengeance on those who dishonour him. But we're called to behold what God has done and in turn have strength in the day. I wonder what your response is to God saving you. Do you are you filled with joy? Are you leaping like tears? Sometimes I'm not. I long to be more. The promise is when we see the way to everlasting joy is in Jesus, we are strengthened. And lastly, there is this third way, the real way to everlasting joy. Look with me at verse 8 to 10. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on about it. The wicked fools will not be able to go about it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those that the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. There's a destination ahead for you and I, the new heaven and the earth, heaven where we get to where there's no more pain or punishment, no more sin, no more sickness. Zion, as this passage would call it. And it's an amazing place for us to look forward, which is filled with joy. But how do we get there? Because it says in this passage that the unclean can't get there. The wicked can't get there. And I know I'm definitely unclean in different ways. 
But today we take good roads for granted, don't we? In Leatherhead, not so. There's potholes everywhere. In our car park, I apologise, potholes everywhere. But what does a good road enable? It enables business to flourish. It enables development. It enables travel. It enables unity in different ways. And Isaiah here is announcing the ministry of a Messiah who's going to come and there's going to be this way to God, the way of holiness, a highway of holiness. It speaks of a raised rose to God himself. Last Sunday, Sophie and I um, had the blessing of being seeing my little um, nephew being dedicated down in Bath. And if anyone's driven from the Cotswolds to Bath, you'll know that there's this big highway road and there's a bridge and there's a toll booth you've got to pay to be able to cross the bridge. And so we're driving up there and like, we don't need coins, but okay, thankfully we do Apple Pay, tap it, there's a pound. And you cross this amazing bridge and you can enter into Bath. And this is the same in this passage. Because this highway of holiness, not anyone can get on it. The unclean can't get on it and things like that. That means we're all scuppered. But there is a way. So payment has to be made. And you and I can't make the payment for our good works, trying hard, doing the right things, making the right decisions in the lottery of life. Jesus came, God Emmanuel came to save. And on the cross, he makes the way where the unclean can be made clean by what he's done. Those who need to be ransomed and rescued can be because of what he's done. He came to seek and save the lost. He paid his price for a ransom for many. Therefore, you and me who are outside can be entered and journey on the way, not because of our own good, but because of him. It's the people who walk on the way. Jesus says... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I'm fulfilling all of this. I am the way. The early church were known as the people of the way because they followed Jesus of the way to holiness. God makes us unclean clean. He ransoms us. He restores us. He rescues us. And therefore, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come into Zion with singing. The picture is not of a religious and the proper, those who made the right decisions. No, it's of those who've been redeemed and rescued, those who know they need rude saviour. For you and me, we use this highway of holiness to come to where God is. The entrance, the gate, the way itself is Jesus. It's not a highway built of stone, cement, of good works and achievement, but are built on wood, nails, flesh and blood, spilt on the cross. Jesus' death and resurrection proves there is a way to God. But there is a difference between happiness and joy. I asked at the start. I remember a few years ago, I was running a Bible study, a homeless shelter in London, linked to our old church, HDB. And it was a particular Wednesday lunchtime and I had a, a group of guys and girls there's a 27-year-old guy who's from Sierra Leone who has nothing, worldly speaking. And he'd come across, and um, he's there, and we're, ch- we're helping out, um, you know, trying to find him accommodation and jobs and stuff. And I asked the same question, what's the difference between happiness and joy? And he goes, happiness would be me having a TV so I can see what's going on. I've never seen a TV, never had a TV. Happiness would be having a roof over my head, but then I'd be wanting something more and something more. And this is a guy who's nothing. 
And then he had his biggest smile. And he says, but joy, joy comes from the Lord. And I encountered joy as a boy in Jesus. And I know joy, no matter what happens, happiness happens to people. But joy, joy comes from God. And he basically started to sing. And I was like, you have a greater understanding of joy than anyone I know. Happiness happens to people, but joy comes from God. And we have an everlasting joy ahead for those of us in Christ. That no matter what this world throws at us, no matter the pain, redundancy, sickness, death, grief we will experience, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that is where joy is found. We look back and see the king coming at Christmas, but we look forward for this king returning to make all things new. When he, there's going to be a time where God's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. There should be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There should be no more pain. The former things have passed away. God is a God of joy. And his invitation to you and I today is to experience his everlasting joy. For no matter your face, you'll know a joy that comes from the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.